0: Welcome to this Your Riding Success episode with Brianna Burgess. Brianna is an Australian international Grand Prix rider and has achieved the amazing feat of top 10 in the World Young Horse Championships. Brianna has been based in Germany for the past 12 years and has trained under some of the world's best trainers. Brianna offers world-class coaching and clinics for dressage riders and specializes in young horses till Grand Prix. She has an impressive resume with too many achievements to mention, so let's get into it and listen to the amazing Brianna Burgess story. Welcome to the Your Writing Success Podcast. My name is Natasha Artoff and I'm a Grand Prix dressage writer from Australia, author of three books and a leading online trainer of writers all around the world wanting to take their writing to the next level. I'm also a chocoholic, mother of two amazing children and obsessed with helping writers be all they can be. Each week, I'm going to be bringing you stories of inspiration, ideas and strategies of how to make real progress in your writing and give you actionable advice on overcoming writing fear and anxiety so you can take your writing to the next level and be the writer you dream to be. So let's get into today's episode. for your time today. Super thrilled to have this conversation.
1: Yeah, thank you. I'm delighted to be with you.
0: Excellent. So for everyone listening, I think we always want to know how did you get started with horses? Was it you've been with horses all your life or did you get started later in life? And just talk about your early background with horses and what led you to dressage.
1: Yeah, so I started like most people, I guess, most kids. And I started off with a pony when I was nine years old. And um, I had one horse in Young Riders in the dressage and that sort of just developed from there. So I was always super, super keen to get overseas and learn to ride and work and everything like that. So when I finished my final exams in year 12, I uh, found a job on yard and groom, a working student position in Belgium with Mm -hmm. Johan Rox, who's now the Dutch team trainer. And I left, uh, immediately after my high school exams and I went to work as a working student. So that's how it all got started.
0: Wow. And did you always know that like in year 10, year 11, when people are like, what are you going to be when you grow up? Or what are you going to do? Was it always, I'm going to be a horse rider and I'm going to go off to Europe to learn and train?
1: Oh, definitely. I was super <laughs> obsessed with that. I have to say, like my parents would tell you that they tried to steer me into other career options, but um i was really just dying to do that and uh and learn as much as i could about dressage and riding and uh i could really see that that's where it was all going on and i wanted to be a part of
0: that mm. Mm. And did you have dreams and goals that you were going to become an Olympian, a gold medalist Olympian? That that is what drives you. Like, for what purpose did you want to become a great dressage rider? For it to be a job, or for something bigger? Like, what was driving you?
1: Oh no, I always had this uh, dream since I was a child. I really wanted to go to the Olympic Games, and whatever that whatever that meant to me as a as a young girl, that was what my dream and my goal was and so as you uh mature and get older you try to figure out ways that you can at least start on the track uh to to writing and learning and uh, becoming better at what you're doing and uh, educate yourself so much and try to invest in yourself as much as you can uh, in, in the learning and so on
0: yeah, yeah. I just so admire you. You've had a dream and fricking, I'm, I'm getting about getting it done. So that Thank is you. sensational. Okay, so let's let's talk that through. You packed your bags and you're in Denmark. And what was it? No, like? in, in in Belgium. Sorry, in Belgium, Belgium. Sorry. Yes. Sorry, I'm getting all confused with chocolate places. You are in I the know. better chocolate place. <laughs> yeah, that's
1: right. Exactly.
0: Yeah. So, what's that like for people who may be considering it? Were you homesick? There's a new climate to get used to. There's new. There's pressure from this new job. Oh, I mean, look. Uh, to be totally honest, I was completely
1: overwhelmed um, mm. when I I'd never lived away from home before. When I was 18, and that experience in itself, uh, arriving in a new country. So, at that stage, as you would know, um, the internet wasn't. Exactly like it is now. So it was really hard to know where you were going and to find people and to get into contact with people. And um, so I turned up at the airport in Brussels, and I knew that Johan's wife, Penny Rock, said she was meant to meet me. But of course, I had no idea what she looked like. She had no idea what I looked like. So I turned up there with my little bag packed and um, I found Penny in that crowd, and you know. Uh, I'd never been really around another speaking language. I'd never lived overseas before. I had never worked in a professional stable before. So all of these things were completely uh, new, but it was such a valuable um, experience for me and such a good foundation to have looking back and reflecting on it.
0: Mm. and but while it was happening as you said like it's so confronting what kept Mm. you going just that dream of like I know this is where I need to be it doesn't really matter how hard it is how scary it is it's for this so it doesn't matter well
1: yeah I think you know once uh once I got there I really realized how much I didn't know about anything so You just go, wow, this is such a great uh, opportunity for me to really learn and to be a sponge and just to to put my head down and tail up and really take this by two hands and uh, get the most out of this uh, opportunity.
0: Good on you, yeah. Okay, so, so you were
1: there for how long? Uh, so, I was there initially, I think, uh, for eight months, and then I came back to Sydney where I was uh, to go to university and study um, teaching
0: at university.
1: Yeah. So, I did that for a year, and then I thought, mm, I still, you know, really had the bug stronger than ever. And uh, so, I investigated to take a gap year and to mm-hmm. do this again. So, I went back to Johan and Penny Rox's place in Belgium where they were living at that time. Uh, and this time I took my horse over my young rider horse right. with me. And, uh, I worked conti- like continued to work there as a working student. And I had a r- referral to Monica in Germany that I would start there with Penny and Johan for six months. And then I would go and work for Monica. And, uh, when I got to Germany, that was also another completely different mm. experience. And I thought, this is what I'm going to do. Uh, so I stayed at Monica's then for four years mm. as a working student and learning and uh, grooming for her also. And I uh, moved up to, to riding um, mm. after about, probably I would say after about a year and a half, two years, I was able to ride there on wow. other horses. <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah. And the university education, we're not going back to that. That that was, sorry, I'm doing this. I'm a writer.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty stubborn, I have to say. So I was really set on, on that this was my way in life. And I felt so strongly about that, especially when you're 20 years old. You have oh, yeah. uh, prob- probably more emotions than the average person. So... I was quite uh, fixated on that idea that this is definitely my uh, thing in life.
0: Great. Okay, so you were um, in Germany for four years, and then what happened? And what was yes, happening that's... at that time? Just riding lots of horses, or were you were you planning for an Olympics or anything? Did you? Have well, any
1: no. I I still took my young rider horse with me, so I turned yeah. up to. To uh, Monica's place, I still remember it was the 1st of July and it was a very hot summer and I had packed my bags in Holland, I put uh, my horse on a horse truck, I jumped in the horse truck and I drove with the driver and he dropped me off at the front gate and I had my horse in my hand and my suitcase in the other one and I rang the doorbell. And um, so it started like this. And in Germany, there is a phrase and it says, by sweeping, you learn to ride. So yes. that means that you start from the very bottom. So I mucked out about 15 stables every morning and got uh, tacked up all of Monica's horses. So I was assigned to Monica to be her groom. So mm-hmm. she rode between nine and 10 horses every day, uh, mm-hmm. between uh, 7.30 in the morning and uh, 1.30 30. So we were uh, doing that and uh, that's what I really concentrated on was trying to uh, learn as much as I could from her because that was such a fantastic opportunity and uh, I was able to travel with her to uh, European Championships in Windsor Mm -hmm. and to uh, World Championships in Las Vegas with the German team and really learn horse management. I Mm -hmm. would really recommend that to anyone who wants to do it like this, that you really learn everything from A to Z doing it like this. Mm -hmm. Riding is not just about the riding. It's also got a lot to do with everything that goes on around it with the management of the horses and Mm -hmm. learning the discipline uh, Mm -hmm. to work with them
0: every day. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So you've got that and where is your young rider horse um, by the end of the four years? So uh,
1: I ended up getting her with Monica together to the Grand Prix and I did some uh, uh, show CDIs there with Monica uh, in Young Riders, I think was it Young Riders or Open, I can't really remember at this stage. Uh, I think it was Open CDIs and Small Tour. So that was a great experience uh, to be introduced into European shows this way. And uh, I think by the time that she was 17, I retired her. So okay. she ended up going to a beautiful family in the south of Germany where she's still being ridden. She's 27 now and okay. she still goes to shows with a little girl and she's just the sweetest and she's super fit and <laughs> very sound still. So she has had a
0: great amazing. life. Yeah, yeah, it is. Nice okay, so...
1: retirement for her.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, so then what was the plan then? What happened after the four years?
1: So after the four years, I, uh, said, I would like to move on and go somewhere different, try something different. So I moved, uh, to a place called Osnabrook, which was 40 minutes or so north from Monica's, uh, stables where she was uh, based at. And, uh, I turned up at a stable. I had two horses of my own at this stage, young horses and, uh, I didn't speak any German, so I didn't learn much at Monica's, Probably a little bit, but not a lot. So I turned mm-hmm. up at this stable, a very German stable, and uh, I picked up horses, lots of three-year-olds to ride from uh, mm-hmm. breeders and farmers in the area, so I'd compete on these horses for them. And uh, then I got a job working at a show-jumping stable, at a, quite a good show-jumping stable, doing flat work. So I did that for two years. Wow. And... Um, at the end of these, this time, I think I was 25, and I said, uh, what I really need to do, I really need to try to get hold of a good horse. And okay. uh, so I sold my two horses that I'd trained up to Prince St George at that stage. And uh, the next, next phase was La Scala.
0: Okay. So, and that was because you still had inside of you, this, this girl dream, like it's, it's gotta be the Olympics. It's gotta be the best. It's gotta be the highest of the highest. So I need the best horse I can get.
1: Well, it wasn't necessarily so much at that stage. I'd matured a little bit more in my thinking and uh, I really wanted to give myself the opportunity uh, to shine a little bit more with what I had learned. Um, Mm. And without a good horse, you can be the best rider in the world, but without a good horse underneath you, you're, you're just a rider. So you need to find your match and you need to find a horse that, uh, it's like a marriage. You need to find this match between you that works really well. And you have a great feeling together. That's what, that's what every rider needs and what every rider
0: looks for. Absolutely. So, um, how, how do you find a horse like that? How do you go about doing that? Well,
1: it's, uh, when I look back on it now, um, I realize just how uh, luck and opportunity came into play at this time because uh, I have always so many people asking me these days, oh, we just need to find a Grand Prix horse. Can you find a great one? Mm-hmm. Um, and it is really, really difficult. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, this happened, uh, my mom actually I was talking about my plans and I said, well, if I, you know, if I can't really make it here, then I should maybe stop riding or come back to Australia. But she said, no, wait, just first, uh, let me message Lyndall Oatley and see what she has. They've got horses for sale. I think that's what she said. (laughs) So she messaged Lyndall and Lyndall said, sure, we have three horses. You can come down and try them. And, um, they didn't live so far away. And I said, yeah, sure. I'll go down and, and try them. And, um, so we arrived there at uh, Patrick's Stable at Outstanding Stables, and uh, they showed me two horses, and um, I said, no, not re- not really. Then the third one came out, and it was this fat, old sort of horse, and I said, oh, that's kind of interesting, that one. He was 15 at that stage, and mm-hmm. I rode him. Uh, he was quite unfit. He'd only come in to the stable like six weeks before from the owner to be sold, and he wasn't in like a super shape just yet. So I had a little ride on him and I said from the first stride in rising trot that I took, I was like, Wow, that's it. That's the horse. And oh, uh, I, I love that. Yeah. And I just knew that this was the horse for me. And yeah. I said to Patrick at the time, I said, Okay, he's a little you know, he's a little overweight at the moment, a little unfit, but I'll let you guys work with him. They had Aachen coming up at that stage and I said, I'll come back in four weeks. And, uh, then I'll, I'll try him again. And, um, uh, then I came back in four weeks and I said, yeah, definitely. He was in a super shape by then. And, uh, I said, yeah, that's definitely, uh, a horse that, uh, I think is going to be a super match together.
0: Fabulous. Okay. So, so then what happens? <laughs> I'm just fascinated by this whole story. Then what happens? <laughs> so what happened
1: was that I said to Patrick, I said, I love this horse so much. Um, but if I buy this horse, uh, I really want to train with you. I said, there's no mm-hmm. point of me buying a horse like this. I've never ridden Grand Prix myself. I've trained horses mm-hmm. and ridden to St George,
0: but mm-hmm. I don't
1: want to buy a Grand Prix horse and take it home because, I don't know what I'm doing. What button am I, so, I going to press? Yeah. <laughs> so because um, you don't realize how uh, complex um, the Grand Prix work is and how much you have to learn in it until you're actually doing it. You're like, oh, okay, we really, really need uh, consistent training here and a very good trainer. And mm-hmm. so I um, agreed then with Patrick that to leave La Scala there and I would drive every afternoon. After I'd finished my work down to Patrick, and we would train every afternoon. So that was Monday to Saturday. And I think three months later, I had my first start in Grand Prix. And uh, it went from there. I think by the third Grand Prix I did was an international show in Holland, in uh, Rosendahl, CDI Rosendahl. And we sort of, uh, did quite well there. We had over 70% in the Grand Prix in third place and and quite a good feel. So that's exactly how it started off and then onto the team and everything like that after that. So it was quite a good,
0: good, uh, good journey to have. I would say. But you still sacrifice. Like how long was the drive every day? You've worked a full shift. Everyone knows Mm. how exhausting that is. And then how long was the drive? So I would drive half an hour to work to
1: Osnabrück and then I would Mm -hmm. drive one hour and 10 minutes down to Mm Munster and then I would drive one hour back to my home. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of driving every day and I think I did that for,
0: I would say almost two years I did that. Yeah, that's huge. And obviously you're seeing some great results and so the motivation is high and and the learning, it seems that you also love the actual journey and you're just like, Woo, you would have loved having Patrick every day tell you things and teach you things. I mean,
1: absolutely. And uh, it's invaluable to have such a fantastic coach. Uh, Patrick is Mm -hmm. an amazing coach Mm -hmm. and he has an incredible feel for the horses and the riders and um, not to mention the amount of experience they have. So I was 26 years old at that stage and you really need this support group around you and these mentors around you, um, yeah. because it's just uncharted territory. Um, yeah. well, it was for me anyway at that stage. Oh, and, um, so that was absolutely a highlight for me and it was so invaluable.
0: Yeah. Okay. So um, what year did you get La Scala? Uh, 2014, I think August 2014, yes. Yeah, so you were planning on 2016. Was that your plan? For... Greg already happened? Like, was the next big competition? Obviously, there's all the internationals, but were you thinking Olympic 16 or were... Oh, it might what have was it been said?
1: earlier. I might be a little bit confused on the dates. <laughs> um, <laughs> because I think WEG was was WEG 2014, perhaps, in Cannes I when so. it was in France. Okay, so then it was in uh, August 2013 then, because WEG was the following okay. year. so that you believe.
0: was your. Yeah. Did you, do you remember having a conversation to Patrick going, this is my goal? Well, Patrick was the one that planted the seed. I just said to him
1: uh, one day, because I said, My biggest dream, and it sounds so funny now, but I said to him, My biggest dream is just to ride Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. And um, he's like, right. uh, Oh, <laughs> he's like, Oh, well, he's like, Well, why don't you go? I mean, you can go and do this, and you can go and do that, and why not? And we should do all of this stuff. And I was like, Oh, wow, okay um so it was really great to also have a trainer that really uh believed in me at that time and believed in the horse and opened Mm -hmm. up my eyes to possibilities as well
0: yeah yeah okay so that that was the plan and obviously you you get on track three months later you're getting the 70 um so so yeah where did we get to what what then happened
1: so I just uh, continued to compete then uh, with Patrick. So we would drive to the shows. Uh, Patrick would, I think he had Scandic at that stage and he would mm-hmm. often write Scandic and I would be in the other class uh, with La Scala. And uh, so we went to a variety of shows and then came the qualification rounds for uh, the WEG uh, in Cannes in France and then we campaigned for the, for the WEG.
0: Yep. And do you want to, do you want to talk about what happened?
1: Yeah, I will talk about what happened. so um, we were at the last uh, qualifying event in Deauville and uh, CDI Deauville in France. And uh, we trained uh, that afternoon and training was super. The horse was in a super form. He was really, uh, we just needed to do that show basically. So um Uh, We took him, uh, we finished, washed the horse off. He went back in the box, you know, all the usual things, icing and all that kind of stuff. And uh, the trot up was in the afternoon and we took him out for the trot up and uh, he was not sound uh, Mm. or was showing signs of unsoundness in the trot up. Um, It wasn't uh, bad. It was quite minor. So he passed the trot up anyway, but then I made the decision not to compete him because we weren't, quite sure if he'd stood on a stone if Mm. you know and it's just not worth the um it's not worth to push the horses um especially at this stage uh if something has gone wrong and we weren't really 100 percent sure so we've just Mm. made the decision then not to ride or i made the decision not to ride Mm. 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 so that uh that followed on and um to, um, quite a lengthy uh, process afterwards. And, um, um, they wanted to put La Scala then out of the, of the team. And, uh, we appealed that decision because we were able to show that the horse was uh, able to compete. And, mm-hmm. um, due to some outside pressures, then uh, I decided to, to pull, pull the start. So, uh, that was, WEG 2014.
0: And how did you bounce back fine or at the time? Um, everyone goes through highs and lows, and I think it's really important mm. on this podcast people realize you know they look at you yes. and they go oh it must be so easy for you and it always works out and no it doesn't she's human um, we're all human so how yeah. did you get through that time you would have felt everyone's looking at you and there would have been as you said pressure everywhere your pressure on yourself and then the pressure from everyone else how did you get through that well I was because I'd worked so
1: many years uh, in mm. professional stables by that stage and I'd worked a lot with Monica and been around, you know, someone that was on the German team. She had more pressure than anybody that I knew on her. And uh, mm. I really used her as a mentor and she handled, she also had lows in, in her careers and mm. or in her career. And I could see how she handled things, how she approached things. And I learned a lot from her. And uh, um, I always, and, and I always say this, horses get injuries. They are horses and especially at that top level, and it is what it is. I mean, I was, of course, disappointed, but things go on, life goes on, mm-hmm. and uh, there will be another time to shine, so to speak. So uh, my main priority was uh, my horse, and um, and I was also um, so aware that... Uh, my rise up to that point had been very quick and I was just so grateful for all the opportunities that I had um, mm-hmm. that it, it didn't really worry me too much. I have to say um, I mm-hmm. took everything in my stride at, at that point.
0: And what a great gift, as you said, to have, to be around professionals because that's, that's yes. in essence was that it's taking responsibility and understanding that sometimes shit goes wrong and there's no yeah. point getting involved in that, it just, okay. Well, as you, as you said, it's all very German of you moving on next. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you don't have that much choice, I guess
1: you can cry about it and throw the toys out of the pram, but in the end, um, it brings absolutely nothing. So, um, yeah. I also you don't waste have, you your know, energy on it. I love it. No. And you know, so many, cause I was quite young I was 26 or 27 and mm-hmm. I had so many top riders come to me, uh, with support and encouragement. And they said, you know, I missed out on two Olympics because of uh, my horse just went sound, unsound then. And so many people came and I said, Oh, look, this is part of the sport. And I mean, if you cannot yeah. roll with the highs and the lows, then you better buy a tennis racket. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> it's, um, It is the nature of the sport and uh, you're not alone. And I think it's easy these days on social media to watch everybody and think everybody is shining and they don't have any um, difficulties or disappointments. But that's entirely not true. But um, it's uh, good for everyone to remember that the success you see uh, is one moment and there is so much preparation that goes into getting to that point.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so what now? It's 2014. Are you thinking about 2016? Um is the Scala still okay? like is is what how old is he now? Is he yeah.
1: Yeah. Um so we did he came back in of course in 2015 and he did some really or we did some really great shows in in that time and I was able to do well dressage masters 5 star which was fantastic. And, uh, we always said, and I always said the horse will tell us when he's had enough. And, Mm -hmm. um, and he was, I think 17 or 18 by that 18 by that stage. And he was giving his absolute best, the horse. Mm
0: -hmm. And,
1: um, by the time I always said Rio would be, we'll just wait and see. I was not that Mm -hmm. convinced. I could already feel it in my stomach that maybe that's going to not be for us. Um, Mm. so I made the decision then I think it was, uh, I competed in Belgium in a CDI. I think he was second or third in the Grand Prix. And after that I said, okay, he's done now. And that was in February in 2016. And, um, then he also retired then.
0: Wow. Okay. And you were still with Patrick and still doing, um, your work in Germany, um, and, how long did so then so then what happened I feel that's all I keep asking <laughs> what happened next <laughs> what happened
1: so i just i was running uh, a sales and training stable um and i'd moved down to munster so i could be closer than to uh training uh, that i could go there more easily and mm-hmm. commute easily to patrick's place and uh, so Scala, he uh retired but of course then The next uh, um, things come in, the next uh, horses come in. So I had a call from Michael Klimka, Ingrid Klimka's brother. And he lives around the corner or lived around the corner. And he said, hey, Brianna, I have two horses. Um, Do you want to take one of them? Come and ride them, see which one you like. You take one in for training and uh, we can sell it. And so I went to his place and I rode uh, a horse there. And that was Sissy, my next Grand Prix horse. So he said, oh, yeah, this mare, she doesn't learn the flying changes. Everybody tried with her. She was elementary, medium level if she got the changes. And I said, yeah, don't worry. I said, I I like her. I'm like, I really like to ride this horse. So just send her over and I'll work with her for a few weeks and we'll see what happens. So Sissy gets the changes up to two tempies in (laughs) six weeks.
0: And I said, no,
1: that's not so bad. Can we
0: just stop and acknowledge you for that? for a second that is huge (laughs) in itself Um, gone everywhere around germany to get the changes it's all right i i do it six (laughs) weeks that's awesome
1: but i really like that horse and i had a connection with that horse and uh Mm. in training you need to take time and be thoughtful and mares are also quite sensitive so you need to take that into account um as well in how you train them and educate them but um so that's sort of how Sissy's story came about as well. So uh, then she, uh, I, she stayed with me and I developed her up to Grand Prix level. So she was doing Grand Prix two years
0: later. That's amazing. And did you end up buying her or you were still just riding her?
1: I bought a share
0: uh, in yeah. her initially.
1: And um, last year uh, in 2019, I bought her out completely.
0: And, yeah, um,
1: then, uh, later in the year I made the decision to, to sell her. So she right. got sold to the States last
0: year. Yeah. Okay. All right. And, um, so was she planned for WEG in 2018 or was the timing not quite right? Yeah, I thought, I
1: thought I would give that a shot, um, because she was very, uh, of course very green at that stage i just with with my trainer i had a different trainer by that stage in france alexander ayash is his name and uh, he'd helped me with the pf and passage she had found that quite challenging because she was quite a big long mare she didn't find that Mm -hmm. the easiest thing so he really helped me uh with the finishing touches for this and uh, i think that was in about november december 2017 that we were getting ready for a grand prix so she had also two one start nationally in france i took her second grand prix she ever did was at a cdi in france as well where she got 66 percent, i think in her first start so i was super proud of her and the next show was another cdi her third grand prix and she hit the i think just below 70 in the special and the grand prix so I thought, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe that could work. So you just go along a little bit like that. The horses tell you if they're up to it or not. Uh, mm-hmm. In the first season of Grand Prix, you spend a lot of time consolidating the horses, that they understand what's going on, that they, they find strength in the Grand Prix. The first season is really uh, educating them through it because they're real babies at that uh, level still going through the Grand Prix. So you just uh, take your time and, and see what happens
0: right okay so 2019 you've now sold sissy what's 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 then the plan <laughs> yeah so I,
1: I got to the stage because I'd been in Germany for 12 years and I yeah. thought uh, well I sold my my good horse now and uh, I would like to have a look at a few other um, professional uh, opportunities and ideas and uh, I decided to with a colleague that I would go to the States and see what that's like there, um, into Florida. So I was there two months last year, uh, riding and so on. And, um, that's sort of where I wanted to, uh, end up for a while. But of course, uh, then COVID hits and then, uh, everything, uh, turns to shit. (laughs) So, uh, that's yeah 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 so uh COVID really then put a spanner in the works as it has for everybody on the planet yeah and uh so plans plans changed
0: so so what are where where are you right now and what are the do you have horses right now and where are they well so I um
1: decided to come back I'll just go back a step so I came back to Australia last year in May I moved back from Germany last year and uh I started doing, I really love to coach and I love training. So I started with uh, clinics around Australia. So in Tasmania and Victoria, ACT, places like this, and also in Queensland. And I was doing these clinic rounds. And then I thought, yeah, I'll go to the the USA. I came back waiting for my visa. Mm. And the idea was that while that was all happening, I would just take a few horses from clients in training. Uh, while I was mm-hmm. in Australia before I I left to go overseas again, um, so I'm currently based at uh, Gemma Heron's place on the Gold Coast. Uh,
0: mm-hmm. She has an
1: amazing uh, dressage barn there, and it's a super facility and um, just a beautiful atmosphere. And um, so that's where I am at the moment with uh, some oh. clients' horses and training that are there either just for training for a few weeks or a few months or, or some are there at the moment with the idea that they will get sold at some point.
0: Yeah. Okay, so what are the plans for, do you do you like to set plans and goals for five years in, in advance or do you just look at 2021? Um, what, how do you like to, to, to work that?
1: Well, I don't like to make, such long-term plans, especially with horses. I find that kind of impossible Mm -hmm. because there are so many small steps leading up to things. You have to be so flexible. Um, Things change um, all the time and you kind of have to roll with the punches and, um, and see what's going on. Yes, of course, I would like to aim for a big championship again, but uh, there are many, 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 steps involved before getting to that point so short-term goals are what I'm always focused on um, with the horses and um and just being flexible because as you can see with COVID um a a pandemic comes into play and then the Olympics is cancelled and all these things I mean these things are totally out of our control
0: exactly yeah. You have a great philosophy. As you said, like, there's just, I worry about the things I can worry about and all these other things. <laughs> there's no point me in investing the energy. Well, I can't do anything.
1: There There is no point. And um, I think it's always nice to have this idea that you could get there. Yeah. You always need to have that idea, but um, I don't wake up in the morning uh, thinking about Paris Olympics, for example, um, I think about the things that are on hand, the horses that I have in for training and other business things that I'm doing at the moment. And um there is plenty of, plenty of time uh, to plan so far ahead. So short-term goals are the best way for me anyway.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So you've trained with so many people and met so many people. Um Do you, is it, is it like asking to say, who's your favorite child? If I say, who's, who was the most important influential person you trained with and what the biggest lesson was?
1: Look, I, I have learned so much from everybody Mm. that I've trained with and um, starting off with Johan and Penny at their place in Belgium and uh, at Monica's place. It was so invaluable uh, to me because I really learned to work so hard and to be super disciplined and, these things are absolutely a foundation with horses. If you don't do that, you're just, yeah, you can kind of forget it. Uh, if you're looking to do it on a big, big scale or or you have uh, dreams to complete, compete internationally or, or whatever it is, for example. So that was a foundation. And at Monica's Place, um, I learned so many lessons. And also their system there is really based on the training scale. So I learned how to train horses from breaking them in uh, right through. So that was fantastic. I always say that Patrick was a huge influence on my riding. I think um, I learned an incredible amount from him. He's a, a brilliant trainer. And um, of course the other people that I've trained with after Patrick um, I trained a little bit uh, before the World Young Horse Championships with Helen lang and and um, with Alexander Ayash, a French trainer and a friend from, from me. And um, everybody brings something to the table. But first, you definitely need to be very sure about the training scale and uh, and have a system in place. And then after, you add to it. So. Um, that's, that's really how I feel about that.
0: Yeah, 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 absolutely. I know nothing about cooking, but I believe that's what they say. You have to like learn how to make the recipe first before then you play with the recipe yourself. (laughs) Not that I would know anything about that. I don't (laughs)
1: know about cooking either.
0: (laughs) Okay. So, um, let's talk about you achieved a top 10 in the world young horse Championship um you've obviously ridden young horses a lot you've obviously taken young horses to the top of the top and you've also bought made Grand Prix horses do you have Mm -hmm. a preference or do you just think whatever your goals are at the time whatever it works out to be at the time or do you like to make them from young look I don't mind my job um
1: is taking horses in for training I mean they come in at whatever age that they come in, some come in at three, some come in at uh, eight or nine, some might come in at mm-hmm. 10 or 11. And you have to uh, be very adjustable and young horse riding is different from riding mm-hmm. older horses. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't, in saying that, I don't have a preference, but I do love working with, with the young horses because you can really shape and mold them You um, show them the way in life. You build their confidence. Uh, They're like sponges at that age. So they learn really exceptionally quickly. And that's very rewarding uh, to work with the young horses and just to see how they change, you know, from taking them to their first show where their eyes are like popping out (laughs) of stalks. And then a few shows in, they actually understand what this uh, competition stuff is about. And they really start to shine and show themselves off and get Mm self-confidence and all of these aspects of, of young horses are for me really interesting, and uh, I always love to watch the horses develop muscularly and mentally and it 's fascinating uh, to me to to see what dressage mm. training really does for the horses
0: mm. um, i 'd love to talk more about uh, it seems a very common theme um, this barn management stable management the discipline mm. not just in the training itself as you said in the care i feel that's something i know for me i'm aussie i'm like she'll be right just tuck it in the paddock um mm-hmm. not as awful as that but it's very very loose and you know it's like it's very much a she'll be right kind of attitude and then when i'm yeah. around um you know the, the top people it's like everything is so particular and so yeah. precise and so structured and so and I I, I'm just fascinated by that but it seems that is the um uh, like you can't get around that if you want to be a top dressage Mm rider in the world you have to bring that to the care and like that that amount of discipline that amount of attention to detail just if you can expand on that a bit
1: yeah so uh that's something I really learned and in um in this professional stables where i worked at when i was younger Mm -hmm. was um that the horses need strict routines they need Mm. um to uh have the riders really checking them every day brushing them twice Mm. a day checking every little lump or bump or no lumps and bumps or if one strand of hair is i mean it was that particular and um Mm uh hand walking them and icing them mm. and um, mm. you know the boxes and all this kind of stuff um making sure all the tack is fitting and also when you're riding them be really vigilant uh that everything is fitting them correctly and if something's not mm. working then don't be afraid to try something else um make yeah. sure that the horse is as comfortable as possible um and this is all uh I I personally think it ha- has almost all of it to do with success mm-hmm. because if you do not manage the horses correctly, you do not get the horses to the competition in top shape. They mm. have to be absolutely in the best shape that you can have them in to ask them to compete at their absolute best, and uh, no detail escapes uh, escapes us there. And um, I can imagine for every other sport or profession it's the same details are so important and um something so small can make such a big difference for these mm. horses because they are
0: sensitive animals at the end of the day mm. Mm. it's fascinating um i can't remember which cycling team i think it's the uk cycling team but forgive me everybody if i'm wrong but their coach i think it was in the 90s kind of came up with mm-hmm. this one percent idea and he said okay we're going to um carry our pillows to every qualifying event that we go to because then if you you should sleep one percent better yes. and we're going to i'm going to take the bike to the bike man and make him make the bike one percent lighter and I'm going to get your outfits more streamlined so you can have 1% less wind resistance. I clearly don't know much about riding bikes, but it was all these 1% things, and they ended up winning the Olympic medal. Purely from, they said, but 1% plus 1% plus 1% adds up to 10%, which adds up to a gold medal. um, Absolutely. And when you are such, I mean, like these uh,
1: cyclists, for example, when you are such a finely tuned athlete yourself, then Mm -hmm. you have to look at, where you can improve. Um, and mm-hmm. for the horses, it's exactly the same. We're always mm-hmm. saying, how can we do this better? How can we, um, optimize our performance? Or how can the horse optimize his performance or even for the rider when they're competing, what mm-hmm. will make me more concentrated? What will, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's got a lot to, it comes, you know, it has everything to do with, with the success and the end of, um, of competing or mm. even if you're just training on a daily basis. But I can definitely say that there is uh, no uh, top rider in the world that uh, just uh, throws his horse wins. in the paddock and yeah, uh, yeah. wins it. there it, it, Actually, <laughs> yeah. the idea to me is just so ridiculous that I have to laugh because uh, yeah. it just does not happen. Like no success uh, comes from, from this kind of management in any sport.
0: Absolutely. And do you think it's, um, like, I love that question when you were like, you know, the question always is, how can this be better? Do you think in Australia, we don't ask that question enough?
1: Yeah, I would, I would hope, um, to see in in Australia that people start to ask this question more. Mm. How, how can can we be better? (laughs) How can I, how can Mm. I get this better and really, uh, hunt that information down, you know, and really, um, look at, look at themselves as an athlete and the horse as an athlete and mm-hmm. say, how can we as a team and a combination achieve what we would like to achieve? What do we need to do to get to where we would like to be? Um, there's no use looking at your competitors around you and saying, oh, this one does that and that one does, does this and they've got a better horse and whatever. That's completely mm-hmm. for me absolutely not interesting. What dressage is about mm-hmm. to me is that, With this training scale, you should be able to train any horse. Okay, Mm -hmm. some horses have more natural quality than the other ones in the end. But if you are a rider and you understand the training scale and you um, can carry that out in a way with the horses that the horses uh, understand and learn that in a good, uh, healthy way, then there is no uh, reason to to look at the other ones and and wonder about what they're doing yes we always need to watch our competitors to say hey they're doing a super job and i really would like to ride my half pass like Mm. this or
0: they Mm -hmm. they manage
1: their horses amazing what are they doing Mm. but Mm. uh, i would say really focus on on yourself don't worry about everybody else um i always say uh i have enough of my own problems to think about i need don't
0: need to worry about everybody else (laughs) absolutely and i always think you know when competition is so what if people are looking at me it's like well i'm not looking at them i've got i've got my own shit to sort so we've absolutely. got our own
1: shit to do don't even worry about it so it does does not matter at all um so yeah i think that would be uh for me in australia i would like to see this culture really develop here that yeah. uh, what can I do to be better? You know, how can uh, I be behaving more like a professional? Um, and yeah. really, I would love to see riders here really encouraging each other. And um, yeah, and we're all doing the same sport here because we have a passion and a love for horses yeah. and for riding. That's why we do it. Um, mm-hmm. So it would be great to really foster that um, culture here um a positive sports culture and dressage in Australia that we're all working towards the same goal
0: absolutely and it's it's I think it's a Tony Robbins quote you know the quality of our lives is determined by the quality of the questions we ask and I think but, you know I, I've been doing a lot of these podcasts now and this theme of you know it has to be better it can always be better and keep searching mm. for better I go hmm that's That's really unique. Like I haven't, that's not how I was trained in all my pony club lessons and in all my Mm. um, normal way of going it. But I go, of course I do that in so many other areas of my life where I really want to excel and be the the best. But it's like we almost, well, I know for me, I can't speak for everyone, but I was like, Oh, my horse riding is is somehow exempt from that or different from that or more amateur about that but I think you're absolutely Mm. right when we bring to it that professionalism and we go well we want to do this the best we can and sure everyone's Mm. best is going to be different and everyone's I understand not everyone wants to go to the Olympics or you know where do they Fit in if they've got a full-time job, but they just want to do it. But as you said, a lot of these one percenters isn't that much time to ice and to do certain things for your horse. that can still be done on someone that's only riding one horse a day when they've got a full-time job. Yeah,
1: and I should uh, reiterate that as well. Not everybody, not every rider uh, wants to go to the Olympic Games, you know, and no. not everybody wants to go to a competition on the weekend. So I, I think for the for me, it's different. It's it's my job, um, but. I think for these riders, um, they, uh, can find ways to do it, uh, the best that suits their lifestyle, of course, and their yeah. obligations. And, um, and that's, that's also important to be flexible there as
0: well. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Awesome. Okay. Um, do you have any hobbies outside of riding? Uh, I probably do do
1: (laughs) but I've never done them because I've always been working uh so I would say when I moved back to Australia last year was the first time that I had some time to actually um do things that weren't only horse orientated so um I like to be in nature and going outside and hiking and um and these kinds of things I guess Um, but I'm pretty, um, focused on, on the horses. I have to say, I live and breathe that.
0: Yeah. I love it. Do you have any advice, um, for riders that, uh, want to take the next step in their riding? they want to think about making it their career or making it, um, you know, the, the, the most important thing in their lives. Um, what's your biggest advice?
1: Well, all I can say, especially for younger riders looking to step up, is that um, go and learn first. Um, it's impossible mm-hmm. to be uh, 21 or 22 years old and um, uh, trying to to be a, a top professional at that age. Um, you know, I always compare it to, you know, uh, you go to university to learn, right? So I think those years when you're young like that, and you're so receptive to learning and and being able to change yourself and mold yourself, um, really take the opportunity to go under a rider, go under a professional rider, go overseas, have these experiences because it, it is so invaluable. It, it makes you better. You learn so much. And, um, in the end, that's incredibly important. And I want them to know also that the way is not easy. Um, It's really Mm. bloody, it's bloody tough. I'm telling you, (laughs) it's really, Mm. really hard. And I would just say head down and tail up and just work your little socks off and be humble, be respectful to people around you. And uh, you will make the way you'll find your own way
0: in it. I love it. I love it. And, um, do you have any sponsors that you'd like to mention for their support? Yeah,
1: I do. I have a great sponsor. My favorite sponsor is County Saddles.
0: They've been fantastic.
1: I ride in County every day. They're wonderful. Uh, I work closely with, uh, Mel Waller, uh, here in Queensland. She's amazing. I love her. Um, the other sponsor that has fantastic clothes and I've just got them on board recently is Stride Equestrian. They're got the most amazing breeches and riding clothes. So they're definitely worth a look if anyone is looking to buy some new uh, riding clothes there. And uh, for the horses, I have Calray Barcelona, which is uh, products that are specifically designed uh, for sweating and heat. So they're really amazing uh, products that don't overheat tendons and so on. So they really promote the, the health of the horse.
0: Yeah, excellent. Beautiful. Um, and where can listeners find out more about you? if they Are you available for lessons if they would like to organise that?
1: Yeah, so I'm available for training. Of course, with the border closure yep. at the moment, um, my uh, clinics and things have come to a, a halt mm-hmm. temporarily. But uh, hopefully when the borders open up, I will be teaching again in uh, Hobart uh, Melbourne and, in uh, the ACT. So they're mm-hmm. always welcome to contact me on Facebook if they're interested or on my social media page, um, uh, which is, um, uh, Brianna Burgess on Instagram so they can find
0: me there. Great. And you've also, um, if people have either short-term training horses to be sold or long-term training, they can contact you for that as well.
1: Yeah. Um, It depends what what people are looking for, but uh, I take in both um, owners that would like their horses just to be sent in for training or if they have a horse that uh, they would perhaps like to uh, sell, then I would also consider that as well.
0: To stay up to date with the latest content, don't forget to hit subscribe to this podcast. Go on hit subscribe. I'd love if you would also love to leave us a review to help us how we could do better or make this even more amazing for you. And remember to follow us on Instagram at success and natasha.altoff.